Welcome to Basic Brewing Radio for Thursday, August 25th. I'm James Spencer. Here at Basic Brewing Radio, we're all about home brewing, making beer at home. This week on Basic Brewing Radio, we talk about how malt extract is made and some of the factors affecting its quality with Bob Hansen from Brees Malton Ingredients Company. But before we talk to Bob, I want to say howdy to a couple of folks who've written in, and I want to solicit some input from all the home brewers out there who are listening. Jerry from Rocky Mount, Virginia writes in to say he likes the podcast and says he's trying to find the time to dust the cobwebs off his brewing equipment to brew a batch or two. Jerry says he's got all the gear and is an experienced home brewer, but other demands on his time have pulled him away from the hobby. Jerry, I know the feeling, and I hope you find time to jump back in soon. I also want to say howdy to Greg and Julie from Fayetteville, right here in northwest Arkansas, whom I met at the home brewery right before Andy Sparks and I recorded an interview for a future show. Greg and Julie are listeners to the podcast and are kind of on the other side of the coin from Jerry. He, They haven't been brewing very long, but they're brewing a lot, and they're introducing their friends to good beer. So good for them. Keep it up. And Andy in Chicago writes in to say he also enjoys the show and suggests we dedicate a program to sanitation. Or is it sanitization? Sanitizing brewing equipment to uh, keep the critters out of your beer that produce off flavors and compete with your yeast. I wrote back to Andy and told him what I prefer to use to sanitize my equipment, but I know there are a lot of options out there and the topic can be controversial, so I want to make sure we hear from all sides. That's where you come in. We'd like to hear from you. What products and methods do you use to sanitize your equipment? We'll take a very informal poll and see what our listeners are using. You can send us your information at james at basicbrewing.com or use the contact page on basicbrewing.com. And be sure to tell us where you're from. I'd love to see where our listeners are. So help out Andy in Chicago. Let us know what you use to sanitize your gear and uh, we'll have a, a show in the near future on that topic. Now, on to this week's interview. Bob Hansen is a technical services manager of Brees Malton Ingredients Company. If you'll remember last episode, Bob took us through the malting process. This week, we asked Bob to tell us how malt extract is made, and he starts the process with malted grain. In some instances, it's exactly what uh, brewers are going to be familiar with, um, and then it goes through the brewing process. Um, in other instances, it's not. There's uh, an important distinction to make in malt extract between that malt extract which is used for brewing and that which is used in the food industry for baking and making cereals. Now, where they're both can be called malt extract, uh, how they're manufactured, the ingredients are used, and the end product uh, can be very different. To give you an idea, um, Food-grade malt extract is often made specifically to be used as a darkening or coloring agent somewhere in a food process. So, for example, almost all the cereal flakes uh, in the world are made by taking something like corn raw out of the field, mixing it with a little bit of sugar and malt extract, and when I say a little, I mean 1% to 2%, and cooking it under pressure for several hours. This causes it to get very dark, and it takes away the raw flavor of the grain and gives it a pleasant cooked flavor. So this malt extract is used uh, basically as a reaction flavor 
for the cereals. And if you look at cornflakes or any of the cereals that are out there, you'll see oftentimes malt extract is a minor ingredient in their formulation. The flavor purity and the color that they're looking for uh, for these extracts um, is, is really not as important as its sugar and, and protein content because it's making it's basically acting as a reaction flavoring compound for them. So oftentimes, uh, food-grade malt extract, and there's a lot more food-grade malt extract produced in the world than there is brewing-grade malt extract, is made using not nice brewer's malt, but made using CD-cut uh, distiller's malt, high diastatic power, very cheap, uh, what would be normally considered feed-grade malt um, or food-grade malt. So its flavor is not as good, and it's oftentimes very dark. Um, it then goes through some sort of mashing process, some sort of separation process um, and concentration, similar to what we'll talk about in a minute. However, it doesn't necessarily use brewing means. Um, so they aren't worried about making a clear wort at all. Uh, it's okay if it's cloudy and full of protein. Um, so they may use centrifuges or other alternative means of separation uh, because they're not trying to remove any of the tube or protein. That's oftentimes extra protein, which is, is good for them. Uh, additionally, their, uh, their process, it may be concentrated only under partial vacuum because color is, is not as important of an issue. And if it's not dark enough at the end of the process, they may heat the extract to get it really dark, which doesn't, uh, heating extract doesn't give you good flavors. So uh, first and foremost, I want to kind of distinguish between brewing grade and food grade malt extract. So if you're making an extract brew, be sure to get the stuff that's specifically for brewing beer. Exactly. And there are plenty of reputable uh, brewing-grade extract manufacturers out there. Uh, Brees is one of them. People like Coopers, Muttons. You want to make sure that the extract you're buying is made in a brewery. Because then, as I promised I'd get to, the first process is basically the brewing process, the one that brewers are familiar with. Here we have um, at Breeze, you know, we've got brewmasters, and we have a 500-barrel, uh, four-vessel brew house. We can do any type of uh, decoction mashing or step mashing that we'd like, and uh, we run eight or nine brews a day. And basically, it's a highly automated brewery. If we uh, did make beer here in Wisconsin, we'd be the second largest brewery in the state, <laughs> but uh, we go through the brewing process, we make a wort, and then we uh, later concentrate it. So we typically use uh, just a multiple step mash uh, with a you know three step uh, rest, protein rest at about uh, 120, uh, and then additional rest at 140 and 158, and we're making a typically high degree of fermentability wort. So if you added yeast, you would have a beer. That's exactly that's exactly right. If we added yeast to our tanks here, we'd be the second largest brewery in the state. Um, we blend our, our grains in, our specialty grains or base malts, to give us the color and flavor that uh, the end customers want in the uh, finished extract. When we go through the brewing process, we're not trying to hit a specific gravity, though. Not trying to knock out of the kettle at 10 Plato or specific gravity of 1.04. Instead, we're trying to make as strong of a wort as we can because we're later going to remove all the water that we add. So that's one of the nice things about our process is we're, we don't have to hit a target gravity. We don't have to worry about adjusting 
uh, water to hit a certain solids content in our wort. We simply make a very high-gravity brew, typically you know, sp- uh, 16 to 18 Plato or specific gravities of 1.064 to uh, 1. Uh, what would that be? 0.72. Uh, we go then through a full kettle boil, and that's different from uh, what you would get in a food-grade malt extract, uh, just like you would want to do in your brewery, to remove uh, any of the hot break material. We then run through a large whirlpool tank to settle out that hot break material. We go through a heat exchanger just like uh, any other brewery would to cool the wort down before we take it on to the next stage of evaporation. So, so far we've just gone through the brewing process and we have a, a high-gravity wort waiting to be concentrated. Here at Brace, we do not add any hops to the brewing process. We do not make any hopped malt extracts. But some uh, producers do also add hops, just like a regular brew house, to make uh, a hopped malt, a hopped wort, to be later become a hopped malt extract. So you're essentially making uh, in a similar way that uh, I, I like to to uh, compare all grain brewing to, uh, you know, making chicken soup, where you buy a chicken and you have a pot of water. What you're making is essentially chicken broth that people can buy to make their chicken soup, right, or to make their their beer. Yeah, that's correct. Essentially, we're we're the brew house. Instead of having uh, little houses, people doing the the brewing at their their homes, uh, it's done at our brewery in a large, fully automated, state of the art brew house. Uh, we we choose the grains and then brew it uh, just like you would as a home brewer, and we're left with a resultant wort. And and this is uh, the water is taken out of it, and and it's either uh, do you do both dry and uh, uh, liquid malt extracts? That's correct. Um, so now we're at the stage uh, that we've basically brewed beer to be later rebrewed by somebody else, but we need to be able to ship it to them uh, or get it to their house so that they can use it. Um, so we need to remove the rest of the water so that it becomes a shelf stable product. In order to do that, uh, you know, we could boil it in our brew kettle uh, to really concentrate it, but it would take a very long time, and it would be very dark, as dark as molasses by the time we we got done concentrating it to 80 bricks or 80 Play-Doh or 80% solids. Um, that's a specific gravity of like 1.3 for any of you who work with specific gravity. Mm. So um, we need to get the water out, but we need to do it quickly, efficiently and we can't change the color and flavor so what we do is we run it through a large vacuum evaporator and uh, this is basically it's set up almost like a heat exchanger so that the liquid flows over or down long tubes that are heated by steam Uh, as it falls down the tubes it forms a thin film and the water evaporates out of that film. And it goes through multiple heat exchangers like this uh, during its evaporation process. The key to it, though, is that the evaporator, each of the different effects as it becomes concentrated, are under differing amounts of vacuum, anywhere from uh, seven-eighths of an atmosphere of vacuum to, you know, uh, to half an atmosphere of vacuum. So the boiling temperature during the evaporation process or the boiling process is between uh, about 150 degrees Fahrenheit and about 90 degrees Fahrenheit, or actually below, you know, below our body temperature. 
So you don't get that uh, the the sort of uh, changes in the color and the and the taste that uh, you would in a normal boil. Then that's exactly correct. Uh, the, you're boiling at a very low temperature. You know, basically room temperature during the summer here in Wisconsin, and uh, additionally, it happens very rapidly. So that um, the wort that goes through it goes in one end of the evaporator and it comes out the other end within about 15 minutes. Wow! So it's gone from being 16 degrees Play-Doh to 80 percent solids or 80 degrees Play-Doh in about 15 minutes, and all that boiling that had to be done to accomplish that has been done at somewhere between 90 degrees Fahrenheit and 150 degrees Fahrenheit. So it's very fast, and the temperature is very low. So even with our lightest uh, malt extract, which is our Pilsen malt extract, we can concentrate. We can take that wort, concentrate it all the way up to 80 percent solids, and then dilute it all the way back. Uh, to its original concentration, and only pick up uh, five to ten percent color. Wow! And the flavor really won't change uh, at all. So, so where does it go from there? Well, from there, then, if we make it all the way to eighty percent solids, it's a, a shelf-stable extract, and it'll be put into uh, tanker trucks, or totes, or drums, or buckets, or little homebrew canisters to be used by you know brewers, large and small alike. Um, or what we can do is we can evaporate it um, maybe not quite as far, maybe only to about 60% solids, and then we run it through a spray drying machine. Ours here is called a filter mat dryer, and it basically ha- consists of a tall chamber, um, which is heated from the top down by hot air, somewhere in the range of 350 degrees Fahrenheit. The concentrated wort is sprayed through spray nozzles and uh, comes out as a very fine mist under very high pressure. Uh, Because it's under high pressure and it's a fine mist, it forms very small droplets which have a lot of surface area and they evaporate very quickly so that uh, in the presence of this hot air, all the moisture almost instantly flashes right out of the wort and inside this tall chamber then, it basically snows little dry particles of malt extract. Uh. Um, Because of the high airflow rate, small uh, droplet size, and rapid evaporation, the wort, even though it's exposed to high temperatures, uh, goes through evaporative cooling, and the temperature never gets very high. So again, it doesn't darken really at all during the process. From there, then, it falls down um, and some some towers are some dryers are just called tower dryers, and you have a very fine powder. Here we have a filter mat, and what that does is it falls down and lands on a, a porous mat, which then um, it slowly cools on. Because it slowly cools, uh, the particles uh, help to stick together, and they form larger particles or agglomerates. Okay, these particles then go into solution faster than if we just spray dried it and collected it. But it's basically a spray drying and an agglomeration process that it goes through to go from being a concentrated liquid to a dry powder. And that dry powder then is about 98% solids or only about 2% moisture. So then it's ready to uh, go to the homes or or go to the breweries? Yep. From there it goes into uh, bags or totes or uh, small packages and it's sent to home breweries, craft breweries, and big breweries alike. Now, now, what advice can you give people who are looking for good malt extracts, other than just look for the Brees name? Uh. <laughs> well, 
Yeah, as I mentioned in the beginning, it's important to pick a brewing-grade malt extract, uh, whether it's from us or from anyone else. In order to ensure good success, you want to buy one that's made at a brewery um, because it's really made to a different set of standards and application than most of the malt extract that's made out there. Additionally, um, a lot of people talk about the differences in color between liquid extracts and dry extracts. Dry extracts, in general, will make a lighter colored uh, extract beer, and they'll also have a better, maybe a better flavor. Now, the reason for this is kind of funny. They aren't actually any lighter than the liquid extracts. The problem is, is that the liquid extracts will darken with time. Uh, the dry extracts do not darken with time. So we will take uh, the same wort, that we're making up front in the brew house, concentrate it, and in one sense make a concentrated liquid, and in the next sense, next very next room, the same liquid, we will spray dry. And when they're produced here fresh at the plant, they're the exact same color. Well, the dry is 25% stronger, you know, 25% more solids in it, so it's 25% darker, but on a dry basis, they're exactly the same, and they'll make the exact same color wort. Now, if you then hold those uh, for six months in a hot warehouse somewhere at 80 or 90 degrees, the liquid extract will darken. Um, in the case of the very light extracts held at 90 degrees, it can almost double in color uh, over six months if it's held at 90 degrees, which is, you know, granted that's a pretty high temperature for six months here in Wisconsin, but, you know, for some places in the U.S. it might not be. Uh, so that... Uh, for liquid extracts, it's very important to buy extracts that are as fresh as you can get them. Uh, and try to buy from uh, suppliers that are rapidly turning their stock around, um, local, you know, uh, domestic suppliers if you can, uh, to help ensure that the product you're getting is very fresh. So in a small community where your your homebrew shop may not have that much business, uh, would you then advise people to, uh, well, first of all, I would, I would think you would want to talk to the, the homebrew shop owner, but then it sounds like to me that the safer thing would be to, would be to buy dry malt extract. That's the, probably the best way to ensure that you're going to have a, a light and high quality extract brew beer. And that's what, you know, extract brewers will often tell you that, you know, that's the way to go. Um, like I said, they'll say that it's lighter in color, but really it's not. If they could get it fresh out of the plant, the liquid would be just as, as light as the dark. Are there similar impacts on the flavor as well? Exactly. The, the reactions that occur are malleard-type reactions that occur in the, in the liquid over time. The problem is so the same kind of reactions that are occurring in the malting process, but they're also that's the main type of browning reaction in most foods. And the problem is at the moisture content... Um, and state that they're in in malt extracts when they darken they don't make they they also get flavor development and those flavors are not typical of what you'd have in malt they may be molasses like flavors they may be licorice type flavors um, but they're not malt related flavors and this is the source of what people call an extract twang or an extract flavor uh, some people describe them as caramelized. Really, they're not from any sort of caramelization reaction. They're really more from 
these mallard reactions occurring in a, a low moisture environment at you know intermittent temperatures. Uh, in fact, I mean, if you wanted to do an experiment, you could simply heat some malt extract, uh, you know, put it in a water bath or on a stove, and watch just you can literally watch it darken. It gets very dark. Mm. But uh, if it's stored at, if you take malt extract liquid and you store it in the refrigerator, um, it will not darken over time. So the the darkening time, the darkening reactions that happen that give it these off colors and flavors are highly dependent on the temperature and also on, you know, of course, on the time. So that we will do, uh, we've done shelf life experiments here at Breeze, um, for example, and I gave a talk about this at the last AHA. I think there's some information available from that online that shows that, you know, at 90 degrees, a light malt extract can, can dark double in color over six months. But at uh, room temperature, um, it doesn't happen very, you know, it would take two years for it to double in color, uh, which is beyond the recommended shelf life of most, you know, malt extract manufacturers. And in under refrigerated conditions, it would take, you know, 200 years. Uh, it's uh, so the the reactions happen kind of exponentially greater with increasing temperature. So know know your malt extracts and know where they come from. Buy, make sure it's coming in fresh and stored well. You know, even you know, I say domestic just because you have a bit of a better chance, but honestly. If it's a if it's a domestic extract that's been sitting on the shelf for a year and it's not moving, uh, you'd be better off to buy the fresh import that's constantly being turned around. But you definitely want to know what you're getting in terms of is it a brewing grade malt extract? So know who manufactured it, and additionally know how fresh it is. Good advice. Any any last words to wrap up? I guess I would talk a little bit um, quickly about also working within the limitations of malt extract in that you can see we do run through the brewing process, but we are the uh, the malt bill has been chosen by uh, us here at Breeze when you buy our extracts. So that And also if we hop them, the hopping rate has also been chosen. So it's important to consider uh, when you're buying basically a concentrated wort, because that's what the, we call them and other people call them as well, it's important to consider what malts and hops were in that and maybe what you want in your finished beer. But do realize that these are typically, if you buy one from a brewing grid uh, manufacturer, they're produced in state-of-the-art breweries by brewmasters. And, and one, one uh, manufacturer's light-dry malt extract may be different from the next manufacturer's light-dry malt extract. That's correct. Everybody, uh, they may have a slightly different brew house. They may brew to slightly different specifications because that's what their customers want. Well, again, I appreciate your time. Bob Hansen, Technical Services Manager with Brees Malton Ingredients Company. Very, very interesting information, and uh, we hope to have you back one day. Thanks. I'd love to, love to be on again. We appreciate Bob Hansen of Brees Malton Ingredients Company for taking time to talk to us. Next week, we talk with Gerard Lemons of Brewer Supply Group about hops. Don't forget, if you want to weigh in on the sanitation issue, we'd be happy to hear from you. Also, if you have brewing questions, show suggestions, or just want to say hey, write to james at basicbrewing.com or just fill out the contact form on basicbrewing.com. Don't forget to tell us where you're from. And while you're on our site, you can check out our DVD, Basic Brewing, Introduction to Extract Home Brewing. You can see a listing of the fine folks across the country who sell our DVD, and if there is a vendor in your area, you can order it online. 
Well, that's all until next week. Until then, thanks for listening. I'm James Spencer. Production help for Basic Brewing Radio and our website is provided by Kelly Dodson. Basic Brewing Radio is a production of Active Voicing. We'll talk to you next time. So long. (laughs) 